What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the latest Matt Russell project. It's The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. On Tuesday's episode of The Window, we'll recap everything from a nice Tuesday night for picks on this podcast and a bunch of offshoot concepts stemming from those results around closing line value, conference tournament seedings, and sleepers. Then it's a full breakdown of the numbers for the big Wednesday card, including more than our fair share of bettable games. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome again to the window. I am your host, Matt Russell, and we begin the Wednesday show with exactly where we begin all of our episodes at that's with don't look back in anger as we look back on Tuesday's action to see where things went wrong and to be honest with you there wasn't a ton that went really wrong for us last night seven three and one and we'll actually start where we almost never start and that's with a push uh, got the push on Mississippi plus nine at Auburn uh, this one felt a little bad beatish down the stretch. Uh, Mississippi inside the number, you know, it's not like they were leading or anything, but inside the number throughout the second half. Uh, really, really bad turnovers in the last minute. Situations where, you know, Auburn is going to give you a layup and you just got to take it. And they weren't able to do so. Some atrocious passing. Uh, led to, of course, getting Auburn to the free throw line. Uh, didn't get any breaks from uh, Javon McCormick. Uh, he of the 50% free throw percentage, making both of his. Of course, Samir Doughty made both of his. And we get the push there. Unfortunately for some, if you only got Mississippi plus eight and a half, and I think there was even an eight at some point, then you would have lost on that bet. And, of course, that leads us to the importance of getting the best of the number. A lot of people will just define that simply as closing line value. Of course, that's the difference between the number that you get at close versus the number you got when you actually made the bet, right? So when we made the bet early uh, on Tuesday or late on Monday, depending on when you did it, you got Mississippi plus nine. Uh, I tweeted last night that just about every one of my numbers had moved, and in the case of nine of them had moved uh, in my direction, sort of to a worse number. And, you know, that's all well and good, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee success by any stretch of the imagination. And this year, especially in football, it's really seemed like closing line value was something of a curse so you know and with the game sort of started you're kind of wondering okay how bad is this going to be you know kind of look like we might start one and four ended up starting two two and one in that seven o'clock stretch but you go you know what i got the best of the number on all of these games you know how uh, how much could i possibly complain so anyway closing line value catches us the push on that one uh, and it also gets us a win with Western Michigan. Now, I will be the first one to complain when we catch a really bad beat, but I'd like to think that I'm at the front of the line as well when talking about games that we had absolutely no business winning, and that would be the case for Western Michigan plus 10.5. Uh, that number fell all the way to 9, I think even 8.5. 
And so we were on to something, at least from a market standpoint. What we were not on to is the fact that Western Michigan essentially got blown out by Paul State from start to finish. But here's the point. When you're betting these underdogs, these large underdogs, you know that you can be pretty sure anyway that you're going to be getting the last shot of the game against, let's just say, disinterested defense, right? So whether it's 10 and a half, 15, 16, whatever you want, if your team can sort of stay, not necessarily in the game, obviously, since they were down by 15 basically throughout the second half, I believe it was a roughly a 15-point halftime lead. But at least if you can kind of hang in there, hang in there, there will be a point in that last minute where you can get a 5-0 run to finish the game. So, you know, again, in this case, we had 10.5. They're down 15. All that takes is somebody to make a 3 with, like, 50 seconds left. You know the uh, team that's leading is probably just going to kind of burn out the clock and probably take a bad shot late and then you're going to get one completely disinterested defensive team you know that all you need to do is make a bucket against right whether it's a wide open three or a cruise to the basket layup something along those lines you know you're kind of getting two to three points of extra value in that spot and that's why you'll see over the course of time here that i am way more likely to take a team by, you know, to cover a underdog double-digit spread than I am to lay that many points because I know if I'm laying, say, whatever, 12 points, 14 points, it really means I'm kind of laying 16, 17, 18 points in that situation. And on the flip side, if I'm getting 10.5 points, you know, I'm not dead until this game is well into the 20s late in the game. So... You know, unfortunate if you didn't get the best number in that situation, but that 10, 10 and a half was available for quite some time, so no problem there. Uh, elsewhere, we got there with Xavier, uh, minus 8. Wasn't afraid when that popped up from 7 to 8. Uh, and then I think might have even gone a little higher than that. DePaul, just an absolutely dead team, and Xavier needs to bank all the wins that they can get here. Uh, that worked out well as I wouldn't say that that was never in doubt, but Xavier at least got out to an early lead that hovered around double digits throughout the game, and then they closed out strong. Just absolutely way off on Buffalo plus one. Really disappointing there. And Missouri State, our squad that has shown improvement um, from an early season struggles. Not ideal as we'd sort of hoped to kind of ride them into the Missouri Valley Tournament. This obviously you know, sort of quells that uprising that we were hoping to get from Missouri State. So a little bit of a bummer there, not just because we lost that one game. I feel we sort of lost a team that we were kind of considering a sleeper down the stretch. Um, not necessarily writing them off entirely, but still not, not ideal uh, as a short road underdog. And then the third game that we lost was Texas A&M plus six and a half. And I have to say... If they played this game again today, I would do it all over again. I wouldn't do Buffalo over again. I wouldn't necessarily do Mississippi, Miss, excuse me, Missouri State uh, over again. But I would certainly do Texas A&M plus 6.5 over again. They lost by 9. And all it took from Kentucky was just some incredible three-point shooting. 
And listen, we've talked about this with regards to our Kentucky love in the futures market. You know, our concern about who's going to make outside shots for them. Well, the answer appears to be Emmanuel quickly as he was 7 of 9 at one point. And this, of course, follows a game against Florida where he was, I think, 4 of 5 or 4 of 6. So, you know, that's a stretch of, what, 11 of 15 type of thing. So if he's shooting 11 of 15 over the course of a, you know, two-game weekend, uh, Kentucky is going to move on pretty much every single time. Not that that's going to be necessarily relied upon um, or even replicable. And in, in many ways, that's the point, to trust quickly, or anyone for that matter, to make seven of nine three-pointers you know, it doesn't make a ton of sense. He would ha- he would surely be happy with five of nine three-pointers if you had asked him, you know, what would you like today? He would have taken five of nine every single time. That's an incredible 55%. Of course, that takes six points off their final score, and that gets us well under the number. Uh, when it comes to actual game, you know, situation, key plays, Texas A&M was making a run. You had Buzz Williams just going absolutely wild on the sideline imploring his defense to get stops they're playing super hard there's a thir- uh, shot clock violation you know some one and out shot rebounds and then quickly hits this sort of step through from the free throw line step through a double team you know whip it off the back the backboard bank shot in that was just an absolute killer and that was I don't want to say that was the difference in the end game because you never know once the free throws start happening. But, you know, that made a five-point game, I think a seven. I think it made, went from five to seven in that spot. And you go, okay, not our night here as this guy's making everything. You know, a team that doesn't shoot the ball from three all that often uh, relative to, of course, competition. Uh, and he's making everything to give Kentucky a lead. You know, and, of course, you know, game situation and that sort of thing matters in that when he's hitting these shots early in the game to give Kentucky you know a seven to ten point lead in the first half you know that takes obviously a lot of the starch out of the home court advantage the crowd getting into it and the belief from Texas A&M that they can pull off the upset when they're just trying to get back in it and they're expending that much more energy to desperately try to get back in it so you know if we get a couple of misses out of him and let's be honest, Texas A&M didn't defend the perimeter, you know, worth a lick either. So, you know, they have themselves to blame. These weren't necessarily all contested shots that he was making either. So at any rate, you know, Texas A&M, a valiant effort late to try to play as you know tough a defense as they possibly can. They're certainly still a team that we're going to be looking to back as underdogs down the stretch here. Just really unfortunate that Kentucky, and specifically quickly, was able to make those threes and, of course, that killer bank shot late in the game, which, to be honest with you, <laughs> he may have just been trying to throw it off the backboard to himself. <laughs> it was it was kind of that, I don't want to say fluky, but it was kind of that fluky. Uh, at any rate, those are our three losses. Not to focus on the losses, but we will talk about the wins. We got a big win out of our guys from Mississippi State. Critical win for their chances Uh, to make the NCAA tournament for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, they don't have necessarily an easy stretch to finish off with their final three games being road games at Missouri, a road game at South Carolina, 
you know, both teams that aren't necessarily tournament teams. So if you get the win there, you're not getting a ton of credit for it. But if you lose, you know, that kind of goes under closer to the bad losses category, you know, in your resume. And then finishing with a home game against Mississippi that either way, I think will be critical to their chances of making the tournament. So when you're looking at Mississippi too, it's worth mentioning that they're sort of hovering right now as the five seed. And so a win last night against Alabama, who's in that, you know, tier in the SEC uh, between the five seed and the eight seed, and they're all kind of around the same number metrically. Uh, looking at BPI right now, they're all around an eight uh, in the uh, bas basketball power index of ESPN. And you're looking at that going, okay, so it's not just you're getting a win, you're also handing Alabama a loss, right? So it's a lot more difficult to sort of put Alabama in and Mississippi State out. And so not that they necessarily go by conference and needing X amount of teams to make the tournament from this conference, but, you know, if you're going to put, you know, Kentucky, Florida, LSU in, and then you're searching for a fourth and a fifth team, in the SEC, you know, it's critical to sort of have your head up above water with regards to those other teams. So that win is, is such a big win. Uh, hopefully with a win against Mississippi and maybe even just a split of the two road games that I spoke of earlier, you know, that would get Mississippi State to a 20-win team, 10 in the conference with, you know, sort of fourth or fifth place metrics in the SEC. Now, when it comes to the SEC tournament, because again, I can't help but think, you know, recency bias being what it is, these conference tournaments mean a ton with the committee watching, right? They get huddled up in their room for that last week, last weekend of the, you know, before selection Sunday. And they're looking at these games and they go, who's getting wins, who's getting losses? And the interesting thing here is that in a league like the SEC that their format of their tournament is such that you're almost better off being a five seed than you are being a four seed. So for example, let's say you're, you know, Florida and you get the four seed, you're showing up on Thursday, you know, to play on Friday and you're going to play a team who has played the day before is used to the surroundings, has a little momentum because obviously they won, and you're playing that five seed, and they're you know they the day before have played you know the winner of the twelve thirteen matchup. So if you're Mississippi State and you get that five seed, you you get this chance to get another win on your resume, and it's not necessarily one that's incredible for the metrics, it's not going to rocket you up the power ratings to get a win against the 12th best team in the SEC, but at least it's showing a victory to the committee when they're huddled up in the room, right? It takes you off of that board, you know, where if you kind of flame out in, in a conference tournament, you know, if the last thing somebody sees of you is that you're losing to a team that they think you should beat, you know, or one of these like eight, nine games where, you know, you're essentially a pick em game, you know, and I always sort of reference like the ACC because they would always get eight teams in and it always felt like that eight, nine game was a referendum on those two teams, basically their entire season, because often, you know, of course they're matched up pretty equally. 
being that they're an 8-9 game. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're Mississippi State and you go in, you can get a, you know, another win in front of people. And I don't know who the 12 seed is necessarily going to be off the top of my head, but let's say it's Missouri. Let's say they even lost to Missouri on the road and then they can beat them on a neutral court. Like all these things are sort of in the back of the minds as the committee, you know, is, is meeting. And then, of course, you get that matchup with, say, Florida, the four seed. And, you know, even if you lose, at least at that point, it's an understandable exit from that tournament. But I also think you have the advantage because, like I said, you've been there for a couple of days. You've got some momentum going. Maybe you're getting a few more fans showing up to your games because, you know, you've won that game and now you're in the quarterfinals and they think maybe this could be a fun, you know, weekend run here. You know, and if, again, you're the four seed, you're, I keep using Florida as an example. If you're Florida and you've you're shown up and you might be a little cold, you know, not as familiar necessarily with, you know, the environment, maybe playing at a weird time, all of those sorts of things, I think it can be a disadvantage. So in a lot of these cases where the sort of first four teams get a bye, it's like that's all well and good if you're trying to win the tournament. But in a lot of cases with these conference tournaments, you're really just to, trying to do enough to augment your resume to get into the big tournament, right? The teams that are trying to win the tournament are maybe the top couple of seeds and then the teams that are on the wrong side of the bubble, right? Alabama will certainly be trying to win this tournament. Ole Miss would, you know, give their lives to win this tournament. But those middle tier teams, you know, I don't think Florida really cares about winning the SEC tournament. So at any rate, we'll get into these sorts of things next week. Very, very excited about the conference tournaments. It's going to be really, really cool, as it always is. Uh, we participate in a super hardcore conference tournament pool. We'll get uh, everybody the information on that as it comes out. Uh, I don't run it, but uh, it's certainly a more the merrier uh, type setup. And so we'll get that information out on Twitter as soon as I get it. Elsewhere uh, last night, we got easy winners. It was really, really enjoyable rest of the night, to be honest. We started, of course, 2-2-1, two, two and one, then got a third loss with the Missouri State. So we're sitting at 2-3-1, and one, which, you know, we got a good win and maybe sort of a bad push. So we were maybe even lucky to be at maybe a half point up on that. Maybe it could have been 2-4, and four, something along those, those lines. And then we got on a little run. We got Oklahoma with an easy... Uh, I was going to say road win, but it wasn't. It was a neutral site, uh, semi-home win at Oklahoma City was the location for that game. Uh, Oklahoma plus three gets there very easily. They, I don't want to say they blew out Texas Tech, but they took a commanding lead early and basically cruised through the second half without getting much of a scare there. Naturally, that's a really big win for Oklahoma's chances and their seeding in the tournament. Uh, you know, it's sort of a strange scenario when they're, when they schedule that game for Oklahoma City, it then ceases to be a home game. So now it sort of counts as a neutral, which I think augments the quad, you know, level that, that they get credit for, right? I think that becomes, I think that was going to be a quad one win no matter what, considering how high Texas Tech is ranked. But I think they build those games in, and they did it the same thing in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, where they had the game at Oklahoma City, uh, where the Thunder play, 
and they did so against Mississippi State. So it's like it doesn't, you know, count as a home game. They count it as a neutral site game, even though obviously, you know, there's home game elements to it. I'd have to check that, but I think that's part of the strategy there because I know looking at the schedule, you know, you're a week and a half left here. You're on the bubble. You'd like that game to be in your home gym. Uh, fortunately for Oklahoma, it did not cost them. As far as Texas Tech is concerned, you know, that's not going to affect them too much with regards to where they're seated. Uh, they can compete with just about anybody anywhere when it comes to a neutral site game. Just kind of a rough night for them. And part of the handicap for that game was that, you know, you'll recall three, four weeks ago, we bet on Oklahoma at Texas Tech. And Texas Tech was a double-digit favorite in that one. And Oklahoma, you know, didn't get the win outright by any stretch of the imagination, but were comfortably under the number. And they did so with a really, really off shooting night. And Texas Tech had a really good shooting night relative to their sort of average and our expectations. So we talked about how, you know, the handicap was that Oklahoma would be able to shoot and Texas wouldn't, but that Oklahoma wasn't able to shoot and Texas was, and they still didn't cover the number. So now you've got this game and you go, okay, there ha there's going to be value here because, you know, I don't know that Oklahoma got any credit for <laughs> covering that game given how sort of poorly they played on offense, right? So if they covered the game and they were played subpar below average, that's a type of scenario where you go, okay, there's going to be the value in this team next time because what if they even just shoot to their average and Texas Tech shoots down to their average, right? There's going to be value created there. And I think that was pretty clear in that we got it at plus three. I think it dipped down to plus definitely dipped down to plus two but certainly might have even uh, been closer to pick them than that um, either way everybody wins that was betting oklahoma money line or otherwise uh, so an easy win there uh, not as easy but pretty comfortable in the second half georgia tech minus two and a half i mean nothing really all that great to say about this game another sloppy game but that's kind of what georgia tech does they you know, their defense is such that they're just trying to get you to take sort of wild shots around the rim that James Banks can block or rebound uh, offensively. You know, they're mucking it up, trying to get fouled in a lot of cases. Jose Alvarado is, you know, a really good point guard, but the, at times that can look very chaotic. Uh, so aesthetically not that pleasing of a game but Georgia Tech gets there nonetheless and relatively comfortably. Uh, didn't look good early for Tulane, plus 11, as they started extremely slow against Tulsa. But by halftime, Tulane actually had the lead on the road. And from there, the cover was never much in doubt, though Tulsa did end up pulling out a five-point win. And then the nightcap, uh, Colorado State, plus 14, uh, lead at halftime, but San Diego State comes back to get the win. Um, you know, a bit of a tough scene for our San Diego State, San Diego State Aztecs. Uh, you know, coming off the loss, you'd like to think, right, it's certainly understandable that the handicap would be, oh, they're going to come out at home, you know, looking to, you know, blah, 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 bounce back, you know, house on fire, yada, 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 right? And that was certainly the case for Baylor. 
and we missed out on a possible winner there just because that line was inflated to a point that we kind of hadn't seen before with Baylor, right? We had never seen them as 14 and a half point favorites and we were making the line, you know, closer to 11. And even though, you know, we sort of thought that Baylor would bounce back and boy, did they ever just absolutely destroying Kansas State. You know, we still didn't necessarily pull the trigger because of the value. And unfortunately for San Diego State, they did not do what Baylor did, right? They didn't do to Colorado State what Baylor did to Kansas State. And that that's a little concerning, especially with regards to the first half, when you go, okay, I understand maybe not covering because you get out to a lead. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, the sort of magnetism of the end game that creates value on the underdog. It was the cover cover was never in doubt, right? And so Colorado State taking a first half lead, that's not really a situation where you expect San Diego State in their last home game of the season to come out, you know, kind of sloppy. So really disappointing. Malachi Flynn with maybe his worst game of the year. Uh yeah, just the offense, you can make the case their worst game of the year. I think looking forward, you there's going to be some I don't want to say regression, but I think we're going to be looking to fade San Diego State here coming up in their last game, road game against Nevada. Uh, you know, say what you want about sort of the idea of being undefeated and that bubble getting burst, uh, you know, going on the road for that final regular season game. They've got, you know, the conference title wrapped up. They've got the one seed obviously wrapped up in their tournament. And, you know, it's not a home game. They don't, you are not fighting to stay undefeated. It's certainly a game that I think you could see them losing. And then, you know, looking across the board last night in that 11 Eastern slot and watching Utah State come out and just absolutely destroy San Jose State. Now, let's not pretend like that's a surprise in any way, shape, or form. You know, we made that number in the high teens. It came out to 22. There was, they literally opened with a 17-0 run. You know, never in doubt, Utah State wins by 40. And I got to tell you, Utah State is going to win the Mountain West Tournament, right? They're going to get their third shot at San Diego State, and I think they beat them in Vegas. Uh, that tournament starts early next week, moved up uh, from where it usually is at. And the good news for San Diego State there, and again, this is all sort of hypothetical and, you know, sort of, I don't want to say hot take predictions, but it's, you know, sort of a prediction. So I think, you know, how this is going to shape out is San Diego State beats Nevada. They go into the Mountain West Tournament, they make the final, and then they lose to Utah State. But the good news for them is that because the tournament is moved up, they will have sort of an extra week to get things together and, you know, have some good practices, you know, reflect on a good season where they, you know, went, you know, whatever in two, whatever in three, and, you know, get focus for the tournament. At the same time, they should be getting their center and defensive sort of, you know, stalwart back in Mensa, who's been out for the, basically the entire conference uh, portion of the season. And with that time off in between the tournament, their conference tournament and the NCAA tournament is they should get him 
back into the mix, right? They should get a rhythm with him back into the mix. Normally, you play these tournaments, you make the final, it's the Saturday before the tournament, the next day selection Sunday, you find out who you're playing, you know, and then you're focused on that team, um, you know, and the teams that are in your sort of little corner of the bracket. And at least this case was sent with San Diego State, they'll be able to play their tournament and then they will have five to six, seven days off before even selection Sunday. And for that week, you get to just focus on yourselves. And when you're reintegrating, you know, your starting center into your lineup, and again, this is all ideal if assuming he comes back, which we're all hoping that he does, you know, you're, you do have an advantage there where you know, if you're a, if you were to say the the hot team who just made a run, you'd really really like to be playing. You know, sun. You know, have your championship on Sunday or, or Saturday, and then be playing in the NCAA tournament on on Thursday, right? You want to be keep that momentum going. But I think we're going to have a situation here where they kind of struggle to the finish, but can get rallied back because they have time to practice. So really interesting scenario that we'll watch play out here for San Diego State. Um, we'll look forward to seeing what the line is this weekend uh, at Nevada. I anticipate it to be probably in the, in a similar vein to where, you know, Gonzaga was at St. Mary's, you know, when they were six and a half point favorites. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the four point favorite that Gonzaga was at BYU, but I think it's going to be very similar to that where, you know, they're going to make the line low enough that they will, you, it will be hard not to take San Diego State but I do think, and in this case, unlike the Gonzaga-BYU game, I won't hesitate to take Nevada uh, and potentially even on the money line this weekend. So anyway, just a theory on that. And again, we've sort of big picture. We've talked about how San Diego State, it would behoove them to drop a game or two down the stretch. Certainly another loss would, you'd have to think, would put them on the two line. And I think that being on the two line means that they end up in the West, which is exactly where we want them to be. We want them to be on the two line in the West uh, with Gonzaga as the one seed and, you know, let the chips fall where they may sort of down the stretch. The absolute last thing I think they should want, you know, as cool as it would be to be a one seed, the last thing they should want is a one seed in the East. At any rate, uh, a, a pretty decent night. We did miss out on some winners that we contemplated on the podcast yesterday. You know, the two that I sort of made as like last cuts were Iowa State minus two and North Carolina minus two. Obviously very similar there. And of course, both home, uh, short home favorites get there, uh, you know, quasi comfortably, at least at the end. Uh, of course, and then the big, the two big games we stayed away from uh, were interesting in that Wake Forest, of course, gets the upset win uh, at home against Duke, sort of following up their destruction of North Carolina. You know, for teams in North Carolina like Wake Forest, getting those two wins in a season is a really big deal. And, of course, some real emotion coming from that game at the end. If you saw uh, Childress's interview at the end of that game, um, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do with this Duke team, right? We we talked about how, you know, I'd love to take Wake Forest here. You know, I still, and I said, you know, the line was 10 at the time. I kind of said, you know, I'd be more interested in doing it. This was 11, you know, if I get another point or two, 11, 11 and a half. Sure enough, goes up to 11, 11 and a half. I still don't pull the trigger. And, you know, of course, Wake Forest covers 
the whole way. We get multiple, you know, double overtime situation here. And we miss out on that. You know, it's hard to say, like, is Duke, how do we treat this Duke team going forward, right? And you go, you know, they don't play road games in non-conference, right? They'll only play neutral games. They only play road games when they absolutely have to. And essentially, they've basically lost them <laughs> this season, uh, you know, with obviously a couple of exceptions. And everybody can see these, right? And so people go, all right, well, you know, this isn't a good Duke team this year. This isn't a good Duke team this year. And when you look at teams who are getting these road wins, the Baylors and the Kansases, uh, you know, and you go, okay, well, they don't, they're not as good as those teams. So what does that do for us going forward, right? So there's two ways to go. You go, okay, well, we found out that Duke, this Duke team is a fraudulent team, and we should expect them to sort of join the ranks of previous Duke teams that have lost early in the tournament, right? Or is this just a team that is, it's creating value now, right? Or is this a buy low, sell high situation, right? Is this a buy low on Duke, right? And, you know, I, that's the tricky part about this whole racket is that in three weeks from now, you know, where are they going to be? sort of relative to the market. And in a year where, again, while we have all the respect in the world for Kansas, and certainly nothing from last night would suggest that Baylor isn't right there with Kansas on any given night, those two teams seem to be the two best teams in the country. But of course, all we've seen from them basically over the last two months is play within the Big 12. And we don't think much of the rest of the Big 12 necessarily either. So you know, all these things are sort of in this pot that we're stirring here and making this stew of, you know, trying to figure out who's good and who's not good. You know, the more Duke loses, the more value that creates, or maybe Duke just stinks, right? That's that's what we sort of have to figure out here as we get down to the nitty gritty. And obviously a, you know, I don't want it's, I guess it's a neutral site, but the, you know, the ACC's, back to North ACC tournament is back to North Carolina at uh, was it Greensboro, um, the thriving metropolis of Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> and, you know, are we going to learn anything there on the alleged, you know, neutral, neutral court? Or is that just going to be another scenario where it's sort of Duke, uh, you know, a quasi home game for Duke. But again, that all depends on sort of where the bracket shakes out. And so, uh, so on and so forth, stuff that we'll talk about next week and the week after. Um, and then sort of the most interesting relative to the spread was the Iowa-Michigan State game. You'll recall I made the number eight and a half. It opened at seven and a half, which on a pure numbers standpoint would have me lean to Michigan State minus seven and a half. Well, I certainly wasn't looking to bet Michigan State uh, at you know that little of value, right? If it had been seven, six and a half, maybe we could start talking. Well, you know, the number goes up to eight and a half to my number. And of course, that takes away any sort of value on Michigan State. And, but we also talked about how uh, if it were eight and a half, I would lean to Iowa. Well, of course, a missed free throw at the end of the game by Cassius Winston. And the number lands exactly on eight, right? So if I had, had bet Michigan State minus seven and a half purely on the number being off by one, I would have won that. If I had aggressively bet Iowa as soon as the number moved to eight and a half, we would have won on that side. You know, 
an opportunity where we could have bet both sides and won both sides. Not that, you know, obviously this is all hindsight being 2020, but it's just funny how some of these games work. And listen, not all these games land on the number. And I know sometimes it feels like they do, or at least it feels like in that last minute, it could go either way on the number. But that's in part because baskets in basketball are worth two and three points. So if you're within five points of a number, you're always at least sweating at the end of these games. But just the fact that this lands exactly in between a number and just middles the sports book to death, uh, not that there was necessarily a ton of money just coming in on a Tuesday Big Ten Iowa-Michigan State game, but just a tough scene for them and sort of, you know, legitimizes the number uh, that we had on that game and the play that we would have had if we were a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and then elsewhere, Dayton comfortably wins. We're keeping an eye on them because we think that they are worthy of that sort of fourth one seed as we hope Dayton sort of bounces San Diego State uh, to the two line. So we're big Dayton fans to keep winning outright, but they did not cover on the road at George Mason. We were certainly leaning George Mason there as we thought there was a couple points of value, um, but just sheer fear of the explosive Dayton offense kept us off of that. So obviously don't looking, not looking back in anger, uh, Iowa State, North Carolina, George Mason, you know, a possible, you know, multiple ways to win the Iowa-Michigan State game. You know, a bunch of different ways we could have uh, added to what was a really, really good night, of course, with 7-3. and three. You know, we'll take 70% the rest of our lives, and we'll get crazy rich doing so. Unfortunately, you know, that's not really how this works. Um, you know, we missed, you know, we would have lost on a few that were close cuts, too. Eastern Michigan absolutely choked late against Northern Illinois. Uh, you know, the Akron number was way, way off relative to Bowling Green getting a big win. Of course, that, you know, like we've said, we're, we're keeping an eye on Bowling Green. That's the kind of performance that we got last night from Bowling Green that we were hoping to get over the weekend when we had them minus four and they were only able to win by one. In this case, they were right around Pickham against Akron, which is the best team in the MAC, and they just absolutely blow them out. So good sign for Bowling Green as we head into the MAC tournament. Uh, beyond that, um, interesting kind of push on the Memphis SMU game, but not much to speak of on that. So when we come back, we got a ton of games to talk about for Wednesday, 51 games on the slate there. We'll motor through those and have plays on about a third of those, uh, as we usually do. And, uh, and the return of back cuts, a handful of games on the extra board that we'll get into and we'll do so when we get back. Do you run your own company or promote your business through Instagram, Facebook, or other social media platforms? Are you struggling to grow your following or build your brand? Posting simple pictures, inspirational quotes, or amateur selfie videos don't really do the trick anymore. Studies show that 82% of people simply scroll by videos that don't have any subtitles and the remaining 18% usually don't stay for long if your content isn't stimulating or entertaining. Contact Hundo P Productions to help you boost your brand and get to the next level of video marketing. Reach them at www.hundopproductions.com or at hundopprod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire.
All right, let's dig right in to Wednesday's card here. Uh, going through the numbers here, let's start off with St. John's at Villanova. A uh, little off on this number. I had Nova minus 10 here, comparable to Seton Hall being 10.5-point favorites uh, at home against St. John's on Sunday. Uh, Seton Hall pretty comfortably covers that number, so that may cause a little of inflation as I think that's a comparable game to this one at Villanova. The number's 13, uh, so that's going to be a stay away from me. Um, <clears throat> again, didn't really love what I saw from St. John's on Sunday, so you know why would I necessarily try them against Villanova here? Villanova's obviously picked it up lately, and I think that's also where there's a couple extra points here in that this is a Villanova team that you could sort of grade uh, you know, four different ways throughout the season. And I think we're sort of at a high point right now with Villanova, both uh, where they are in the market and sort of how they're playing. So no play for me there. Georgia at South Carolina is an interesting one. I made the number five and a half, and it is five and a half. That being said, I think I'm going to take Georgia here plus five and a half in what is a revenge spot from a game that we actually won on uh, a couple weeks back when this game was played at Georgia. Uh, <clears throat> as you know, we do like South Carolina when they're on the road getting points. We think that team travels just as well as they are a home team. And they got out to a big lead early against Georgia. And of course, as we talked about, you know, theoretically with the Texas A&M Kentucky game, though that early, you know, part of the game is critical to sort of setting up the rest of the game in a lot of cases especially with one team takes a significant lead over the other. And in that game, South Carolina took about a 25 to five type of a lead at Georgia. And so now they're just clamoring to try to get back in the game. The crowd never had a chance to get into it, you know, and in this spot, now that they're sort of back on level, a level playing field, you know, and in that game, they, you know, they crawled back into it to a degree and made it relatively close. Uh, or at least, you know, played them evenly through, say, the last, you know, 30 minutes of the game. Uh, I think these two teams are, are pretty evenly matched. Now, I, I would lean, of course, head coaching-wise to Frank Martin, uh, you know, over Tom Crean. Um, you know, but that five and a half points is, you know, a fair amount to lay when you're facing a team of, you know, at least similar athleticism and talent uh, and a team that should make enough adjustments. And to be honest with you, the start of the game can't be any worse than it was last time. So, you know, if they can keep it anywhere close in the first 10 minutes, uh, I think this game probably ends up being really, really tight towards the end. Uh, Georgia, of course, coming off of a rough loss uh, against Vanderbilt, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. So I'll take Georgia plus the five and a half points here. Next up, Virginia Commonwealth. Uh, VCU, I made the number six points. It's five and a half for VCU uh, and dipped down to five, actually. And I, I'll take VCU here. Again, this sort of goes into the category of teams that need to rack up some wins here down the stretch if they're going to make a case to make the NCAA tournament. And the bubble this year is gigantic. If you lose your last two or three games or have a tough loss, you know, down the stretch to a really bad team, and then you don't show up for your conference tournament, 
you can go from being a seven seed to out. And on the flip side, you can go from being, you know, 10, 10 teams off of the off of the last four in line. You know, you could be in the last 10 out, the last 12 out, and you could jump yourself right into not only the tournament, but also not even having to play a play-in game. There's just that many teams that have, for lack of a better term, sort of submitted their application, you know, to the committee here for this final three weeks. So if you're a team of any quality, which I still think VCU is, you know, home road games shouldn't matter, especially, especially at a place like UMass, where, you know, it's not going to be a raucous crowd at UMass tonight, right? So it is more of a neutral game necessarily than a road game. Uh, you know, it's not like they're going on the road to a St. Louis, you know, certainly not to a Dayton or a Rhode Island where, you know, you definitely factor in a considerable home court advantage. Won't be one here for UMass, so we're going to take VCU minus five. And I got to think that essentially their tournament hopes are on the line tonight, and they know that. Uh, elsewhere in the A-10, uh, Duquesne at St. Bonaventure. Uh, I made the number Duquesne minus one, and Bonaventure was actually favored by four and a half points here. I know that number's not right, and so does the market, as they've bet that down to three and a half. We'll still take St. Bonaventure, excuse me, we'll still take Duquesne plus three and a half there as the number creeps towards Pickham, which is sort of where I had it. Uh, Marist and Manhattan in the Metro Marist, uh, I have five-point underdogs. They're actually now six-point underdogs. Uh, not worth a play for me there. And if you know, I can avoid any sort of Metro games going down the stretch here, I pretty much almost always will. Uh, that being said, I do have one Metro game on the card today. You can probably guess who that is if you've been following it along closely to what we're doing here. Uh, but next up, uh, back to the A-10, Richmond at George Washington. I made the number six and a half, the number seven and a half. Certainly not enough to get me on George Washington here, even if there's a point of value. Uh, Furman and UNC Greensboro. Interesting game here. I made the number six and a half, the number's four and a half. And I would probably actually lean to Furman to keep this one close. A little bit more explosive offensively with their three-point shooting. Um, certainly also a possibility that even if this game is, you know, Greensboro by 10 late, it wouldn't take all that much for Furman to get back in and under the number. Um, so that being said, we'll just leave that one for somebody else to bet on. Um, back to the Metro in the game that I was referencing earlier. Siena on the road you know, with bold, bold, the word road here uh, at Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac, a team that we have been at least trying to win with all season to various degrees of success. We're back on the train with them. I made them small favorites at home here just because I don't know how you can make Sienna a road favorite against essentially anybody with a pulse in the Metro. Uh, so we're going to take Quinnipiac plus the three here as Sienna was made a two and a half point favorite. It's actually up to three. Don't know who's betting on that. But uh, we'll take Quinnipiac plus the three there as home underdogs. Syracuse at Pittsburgh. I made the number one. It actually opened Syracuse minus one and a half last night, but has since traveled across the no man's land of Pickham onto our little island at Pittsburgh minus one. Not enough of a move to keep me off of Pittsburgh here. As long as it's minus one, we will take Pittsburgh for the win 
at home against Syracuse. I'm sure that will go about as well as all the other games do when we're betting on or against Syracuse. Mercer at Citadel. Mercer, I made five-point favorites. The number open seven has drifted towards me at six and a half. So I guess some small value on Citadel, but we will pass on that one. Not enough for us to get crazy. Where we will get crazy is we're betting on Fordham tonight. URI, I made a six-point road favorite at Fordham. Uh, URI is 11.5-point favorite on the road at Fordham. A couple too many points for me there, so we are taking Fordham. We are holding our nose, and we are hoping for the best with Fordham plus 11.5. Interesting one in the SOCON, the Southern Conference, is the sneaky good conference of the smaller conferences. Can't wait for that tournament. Uh, East Tennessee State, I made four and a half point favorites on the road at Wofford. The number is actually three and a half. Big news for East Tennessee State here as they get uh, power forward Jeremy Rodriguez back uh, tonight. They have not had him for, what, a month, month and a half, essentially. Uh, Big guy, rebounder, will be key for them as we've talked about ETSU as a team to look for in the tournament to sort of be in a 12 seed type space uh, and cause problems for, you know, a four or a five seed, sort of depending on where the seeding lands, uh, a team that could make the second weekend and surprise a lot of people. Uh, Rodriguez's return here is critical for that. That being said, on the road at Wofford is not particularly easy. Uh, I believe ETSU has secured the number one seed for their conference tournament, so there might also be not a ton to play for here. And, uh, of course, getting Rodriguez back is all well and good, as we say, for the tournament. But, you know, if you're, you know, you're bringing a guy back mid-season after a long absence where it's not like they were struggling necessarily. And he's also not necessarily a focal point in their offense, but when you're bringing him back, there is that sort of adjustment period where, you know, things might be a little out of whack. And we sort of talked about that with San Diego state getting a week's worth of practice before the NCAA tournament, Um, you know, bringing him back to get him adjusted. And in fact, they are, now that I'm looking at it, a, they've got one game on Furman and Greensboro with how many to play? Two to play. So, yeah, they haven't actually secured that spot. So certainly a ton of motivation here for ETSU. Uh, that being said, the number still a little low for me to take Wofford on, at home, um, but you know certainly not low enough for me to jump on ETSU. Uh, as we'll happily sort of just cheer for them to get the win and get the one seed in the conference tournament. Uh, Elsewhere in the SOCON, way down the standings, Chattanooga at VMI. I made Chattanooga two-point favorites. They're three-point favorites at VMI. No play for me there. Uh, Central Florida is at UConn. I made UConn a six-point favorite. The number is eight. That's good enough for me. I'll take Central Florida plus eight there against a UConn team that can be frustrating for both viewers and their coach alike. Uh, Certainly in the American, we kind of always lean to taking points. Uh, In fact, actually, we have seven and a half, not eight. The number was eight, has moved closer to our number of six and is at seven and a half. So just need to make the adjustment there. Um, So yes, maybe on to something 
given that half point line move. Similarly, also in the American ECU at Central Florida, similar story here at Central Florida, I had five and a half point favorites. It's eight and a half and actually has dipped down to eight here. Eight is still good enough to me uh, to be a play on ECU. Though in both cases, you know, we would have liked to have been ahead of the market there, but at least the market is showing that we were on the right track with our original number versus the sportsbook's original number. Uh, Denver at Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne. Uh, I've got Fort Wayne as four point favorites. Uh, they're seven and a half point favorites. That seems like a lot to lay if you're, you know, for Fort Wayne. Uh, that said, I don't want anything to do with this Denver team, a team that is probably just riding out the stretch here uh, with absolutely no hope for any sort of tournament of any kind uh, invite. Uh, so a pass on us uh, for us there as we're not looking to lay the 7.5 with Fort Wayne either. Uh, Samford at Western Carolina here. Would have loved to be on Western Carolina, but my number made it 9. That would have been a play for me. Unfortunately, it's up to 10.5. Uh, if you're following along and playing along, we got a win with Samford on Saturday. Just an incredible feeling to get a win with Samford, especially against a team like East Tennessee State. But remember, it was a great spot to bet against East Tennessee State, uh, especially a home game, you know, for Samford there. On the road, really, really don't want anything to do with Samford. But, you know, number is just a little high for me. Uh, at 10 and a half so we're going to pass on that and fully expect western carolina to win by 25 points tonight and make me look like an idiot but you know what that's going to happen sometimes in this game bradley at illinois state i did have illinois state as a small favorite here i mean illinois state is just an almost an impossible team to predict sort of where they're going to go on any given day don't want anything to do with bradley here as a road favorite and wouldn't necessarily be all that interested in Illinois State either. So we're going to pass on that. The next one's really interesting. Uh, we go to the Big Ten. Rutgers at Penn State. Penn State, I made seven-point favorites. It opened six and has actually drifted down to five. Now, this would seem for all the world like a perfect spot for Penn State to bounce back after two straight losses. And Rutgers, of course, as we've talked about before, atrocious on the road, great at home their you know home road records are diametrically opposite as i believe they have one road win and one home loss uh so i don't necessarily know what the market sees in rutgers you know allowing that to dip down a point so that would you know sort of puts me off of any sort of interest in penn state you know, as much as there's a bounce back spot here, there's also maybe a fundamental flaw with Penn State or even just that the market still might be a little high on a team that we were kind of surprised was this good throughout the season. And of course, the peak of that was a couple weeks ago, or maybe that was even just last week, uh, with the road win at Michigan State. And, you know, people talk about buy low, sell high. And, you know, we talk about this being a market, right? And these are the types of examples of things that over the course of a full season, you have these highs and lows of every single team. And we try to kind of take advantage of it in the futures market in buying a team sort of before the market realizes that they're really good. 
and you know we'll talk next week probably about NCAA tournament futures sort of where we bought them and where they are now and what the value you know is compared to where we got it and so on and so forth but within you know sort of that market there's the game to game market and once Penn State beat Michigan State on the road everybody noticed right everything was oh Penn State like maybe they're the best team in the Big Ten this is a team that could hop up into that sort of top four seed range for the tournament etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know if that's not a signal as a, this is the peak of that of this team on in the market you know I don't know what is and these are the things that we have to try to find and I personally have to get better at recognizing that if we're going to just announce that no team is a juggernaut and then a team does really, really well for two, three, four weeks, that that just might be part of their ebb and flow of you know any sort of season. We talk about how San Diego State might be sort of in a little dip right now, but it's not to say that they're some terrible team or wildly overrated it's that just they've unfortunately for them waited till this long and of course it wasn't by design but waited this long to kind of have some struggles and that we're predicting a couple more struggles here uh, as we finish out the the season and the conference tournaments you know so for Penn State here again this is a a lot to talk about a game that (laughs) I'm not even involved in but you know, is Penn State just par- in right now, a t- you know, in the middle of a two to three week sort of, you know, doldrums, so to speak. Uh, and maybe that's what the market's reflecting here with that number being as low as five. If you'll recall, Rutgers was five point underdogs on Sunday to Wisconsin. And, you know, Wisconsin had that game covered pretty much throughout. Right. And if you know, I think most of us think Penn State is a better team than Wisconsin. So you would think that the number would be higher, you know, after not covering against Wisconsin, you would assume that the number would be higher against Penn State. So really, really interesting to watch tonight to see sort of where that ends up and sort of, you know, which side of the ledger it lands on. Is it Penn State is bouncing back or is it Penn State is still in that low point of their season, right? Illinois had that low point and then, you know, ironically beat Penn State on the road to sort of, you know, announce that they are back, so to speak. So interesting game there. Uh, Way, 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 way less interesting game here. Virginia at Virginia Tech. Way more interesting last year and in past years. This one is a snoozer. Uh, I made Virginia two and a half point favorites. They are three and a half point favorites. So thankfully, no play for me there, or I would be at least tempted to watch Virginia try to play offense. And I don't want anything to do with that because, frankly, Virginia Tech isn't all that much better at this point in time. Uh, moving forward, we got Evansville and an interesting move here. Evansville at Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa, just absolutely trucking, uh, (laughs) teams out in the Missouri Valley made them a 15 point favorite. The line opened at 15, but it's actually dropped, dropped a point and a half to, uh, to 13 and a half. And I can't, you know, who's all that excited about betting on Evansville? I don't know who these people are. Um, that being said, I'll probably stay away from this one as, you know, laying 13 and a half points has never been my bag. Uh, North Dakota is at uh, Nebraska Omaha. Uh, I've made North Dakota actually a small favorite here 
and Omaha's five and a half point favorites. And I like North, North Dakota on the road here. I uh, wouldn't necessarily bet the money line here, but I think five and a half point favorites is too high. So North Dakota uh, worth a bet there uh, tonight at plus five and a half. Uh, Arkansas State at uh, Louisiana Lafayette had this number just about pegged. Lafayette minus three. It's actually three and a half. Uh, you know, small lean to Arkansas State there if you absolutely had to. I don't know what scenario in life would occur where you absolutely had to bet on Arkansas State, Louisiana Lafayette. But if you're in that spot, it's a lean towards Arkansas State. Uh, Indiana State at Southern Illinois. There will be a play for me on this. Southern Illinois is two and a half point favorites. I made the number six and I think I'm right. So we're going to bet on Southern Illinois minus two and a half here. Uh, Georgetown to Marquette is an interesting one. I made the number seven and a half. It opened seven and I had it circled all fired up to bet it today. And then it moved to eight. And of course, that's a little higher than my number. That being said, that move to me tells me that we're probably not seeing Mac McClung tonight for Georgetown. And I think for Georgetown going forward, this might be a scenario where they're just out of gas and finishing up the season. Uh, for those who don't know, Georgetown had, you know, had dismissed a couple of players earlier this season and a team that was already not particularly deep got even shallower, if that's a term. And now Mac McClung is their best player, uh, sophomore guard who, you know, has no designs on, you know, jumping to the NBA is a guy that is going to be a four-year player for them. So there's no reason to keep running him out there where he sort of, you know, has this injury that he's going to play through, right? They're, they have no shot to make the tournament, you know, unlike some teams that, you know, might be off the bubble, but getting hot towards the end of the season, this is not one of those teams that could win their tournament, conference tournament, to get their, you know, find their way into the big dance. So, you know, what's really left to play for here? Meanwhile, Marquette has had some really rough outings recently uh, and is just absolutely due for a bounce back. And this just smacks of a get right spot against, uh, you know, at home against a team that, you know, to compete with Marquette when the crowd gets going there. Uh, you're going to need more than five guys. And unfortunately for Georgetown, that's kind of all they have. Uh, this just smells of the blowout spot here for Marquette. So even though the numbers popped up to eight, you know, again, that tells me that, you know, as much as McClung is listed as questionable, uh, that makes him seems like he's unlikely to go tonight. And honestly, even if he was, you know, I don't, you, you can't trust Georgetown in this spot at all. So Marquette minus eight is still good enough for me to make a play on. Tennessee and Arkansas, really interesting game here as Tennessee has been a team that we have been betting on lately. Uh, fortunately, we steered away from them on Saturday. Meanwhile, Arkansas team is a team that we announced that we were fading all the way down the stretch, except uh, for the fact that they've gotten a return of Isaiah Joe. Isaiah Joe is their best you know, outside shooter um, and obviously another critical body in a team that isn't particularly deep. Uh, you know, this team is in the category of teams with a new coach who, you know, will be getting better. Uh, you know, they'll be better next year than they were this year. They'll be better in the year after than they were, you know, than they are uh, now. 
but they just don't have enough players. So anytime somebody key goes out, right, that automatically hurts the depth. And as we get later, later, later into the season, that becomes more and more problematic. But they were able to sort of tread water as best they could and still think they have a chance to get into the tournament. And with Isaiah Joe back, that's given them a little extra life here as they finish up the season and a home game against a team that won't be making the tournament is a game that they know that they have to have and the line being four and a half here uh, for Arkansas is still a little short in my opinion and I think Arkansas is worth a play here and you know we'll sort of have to reevaluate them you know game by game down the stretch if Joe was still out you know the same thing would have uh, you know, been true on Saturday where we would be fading Arkansas, right? And so, you know, even then, Missouri plus eight and a half probably should have got there over the weekend as that number got inflated because Joe was returning. Uh, and then now for some reason, there hasn't been that same inflation on this number, perhaps because Tennessee is considered to be better than Missouri, but I don't know how much better the necessarily that they really are so arkansas at minus four and a half certainly a play for us there with joe back uh and in a way kind of a bummer that he is back because we were doing pretty well you know fading arkansas down the stretch but you have to make adjustments when new information is uh, provided and of course there's no greater example of that than having you know your second leading scorer uh return from injury and, you know, we've already seen him play once, you know, on Saturday. So it's not like it's an unheard of, you know, we don't know what to expect type of thing. Uh, moving on to the ACC, Nor uh, Notre Dame at BC. I made the number three and a half for Notre Dame, opened up four and a half. It's up to five. Not enough for me to take BC here by any stretch of the imagination. That's a stay away team uh, essentially for the rest of the season. Fully expected them to be around you know, a super low seed in the AC tournament, uh, probably be getting a ton of points and still not being able to make a play on them uh, in the first round of the ACC tournament. LSU Florida, I would say the big game of the night, at least the most interesting uh, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast. Uh, I made the number five for Florida and it is in fact five. And while there's no necessarily necessary value on the number, uh, I will take LSU just based on the matchup. These two teams, I think, regularly play incredibly close games over the course of the last few years. Um, you know, LSU was winning comfortably uh, until late against Florida, where they made a semi-miraculous comeback to get inside the number uh, a couple months ago, very early on in the conference season. Uh, here, I just think from a matchup standpoint, LSU's athleticism, rebounding, and there's some real, for lack of a better term, adults on this LSU team that will give Florida some trouble as they, you know, Florida's still a you know super talented team, but it's still a young team and not a particularly big team, right? So you have LSU that will crash the glass and will rebound. And Florida has, you know, as much as we like them from a concept standpoint relative to their sort of value in the futures market, you know, the flaws are their flaws, right? And sort of disjointed offense on occasion and, you know, some mental lapses on defense is the type of thing that may just turn this game 
into kind of a run and gun, you know, high athleticism, fun game to watch, but also a game that could kind of go either way. A sort of maybe, you know, <laughs> pardon the term, uh, you know, steroid, you know, <laughs> version of Georgia, Florida from, you know, a couple weeks back, right? Where it's just a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion, both offensively and defensively. And in the case of those games, kind of either team can win. Uh, and taking the five points, I'm more than happy to do here with LSU. A team that, you know, certainly isn't afraid of going on the road in any way, shape, or form. Uh, next up is New Mexico at Air Force. Uh, we're going to take a shot with Air Force here. I made them a three-point favorite. They opened one and a half and have actually moved up to two and a half, so there's still little value to where I thought the number should be. Uh, probably an effort mismatch here. You know you're always going to get top-level effort from the academies, and on the absolute flip side just no discipline with this new mexico team just constant off the court stuff for them uh and then so going up into the uh, altitude uh where air force is you know plays their home games it's got all the makings of one team just caring a lot more than the other team. New Mexico not particularly good at defending the three-pointer either, which is sort of where Air Force hopes to get you. Um, you know, this one, I don't want to say this one could be a blowout, but it certainly could be, um, and I would certainly be happy to take, uh, to give up the two and a half points here with Air Force. Uh, St. Joe's at St. Louis. Uh, I made the number St. Louis minus 12 and a half. It opened 14 and has actually dipped closer to me at 13. So no play for me there. Um, again, don't really want anything to do with the St. Joe's team uh, against, you know, sort of the upper echelon of the A-10. Uh, no play on that one. Maryland and Minnesota, back to the Big Ten here. I made the number one for Minnesota. The number is one for Minnesota. You can actually get Pickham at a bit of a, you know, reduced juice situation there. Uh, go ahead and grab Minnesota. Um, a closer game than the records would have you believe here, right? Minnesota's I believe a 500 team. Maryland is a team that's allegedly in the hunt for a top two seed for the tournament. There's even some low-level one seed talk. I'm not buying that for one second. And certainly any results over the last week have, have quelled that those talk. Um, but I think this is one where, you know, Minnesota's a tough place to play. They still think they can make the tournament as they are that sort of classic team that has better metrics than their actual record. You know, I think they're a top 40 team in, you know, the important uh, rankings, Ken Palm and that sort of thing. So, you know, you might be surprised to see that Maryland isn't even, you know, a couple of points favored here. Uh, obviously not a particularly great team on the road, though they do have a couple road wins recently, you know, in the last month, Indiana and uh, Illinois. Um, but I would take my shot here with Minnesota to get sort of a, a real resume building win here for Minnesota as they're kind of that team that, you know, I think they're hoping to kind of finish up here maybe six and three with a couple wins in the conference tournament. I don't know if the math necessarily works out in that circumstance. But if they're at, say, they're, I think they're 13 and 13 right now. So if they could finish, let's say they finish four and two, 
you know, so they're set, you know, 17 and 15 with really good metrics and a couple of good wins um, would be good enough to get them into the tournament as everyone is just absolutely in love with the Big Ten this year. Um, so this would go a long way to that. So you could make a case that their um, resume is kind of hinging on getting these types of wins. So let's take Minnesota, uh, call it Pick'em. Uh, if uh, if you can get that at like a minus 112 type of thing, that's uh, more than worth it in my opinion. Next up is Missouri at Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt, I have a one and a half point favorite. It's two and a half for Missouri and just a tough loss on the buzzer beater on Saturday for Vanderbilt. And it's just an impossible it could be an impossible thing to bounce back from very similar situation being sort of the two and a half point underdog of course they covered the number but that doesn't do them any good you know relative to how they feel after losing that game to georgia on saturday here so you know normally that this would have been a spot where you think vanderbilt could get the win as the home underdog um, tough to say what they have left after that game. And Missouri has been playing a lot better lately. So um, not something that we're going to necessarily touch there. Uh, Utah Valley at Cal Baptist. I made the number Cal Baptist minus eight. It actually opened minus eight, but has drifted towards Utah Valley with Cal Baptist now being a six and a half point favorite. Nothing for me there. Uh, similar story, Utah on the road at Stanford. As you know, we are Utah at, at home fans, but not so much on the road. Stanford, I made a six and a half point favorite. It's seven and a half points. Still not enough for me to grab Utah there, despite the one point quote-unquote value. Uh, Cal State Northridge at Long Beach State. We are all about Long Beach State here down the stretch. So we're going to take them at home, uh, giving one point. I made the number Beach minus one and a half, and it actually opened Northridge minus one and has drifted across Pickham over to me at Beach minus one. So go ahead and grab Long Beach State minus one. And then finally, a classic, classic letdown spot Boise State and UNLV. I made UNLV five and a half point favorites. That might have been wishful thinking. Uh, and, or it's just a factor or not factoring in the letdown spot for UNLV as the line is three for UNLV. And I think that's still worth a play on Boise State. Obviously, UNLV won their Super Bowl over the weekend, knocking uh, San Diego State off from the unbeaten perch that they were on and you know if i thought unlv was a more mature team and would be ready and fired up for this home game uh you know maybe i would say that there was some momentum to be ridden there um but we've seen enough from unlv at home lately against that sort of mid-pack uh, mountain west group of fresno and nevada where you know they weren't able to pull wins against those teams well, I've got Boise State right in the mix with those teams. So if I'm getting three points plus a classic letdown spot, um, I'm going to be happy to take Boise plus those three points. So that's it for the slate there. 17 games in total. Uh, and we do have five more on the back cuts. And we're going to get to those right after this quick break. <laughs> Mm. 
Okay, let's wrap up the Wednesday podcast with some back cuts here. We're going to the extra game section of your sports book here. Uh, let's start off. We've got Lafayette at American. I made American two and a half point favorites. They are three point favorites uh, at home to Lafayette. So no real play for me there. Uh, similar story here. I got BU as three point favorites. Uh, number was actually five. Not enough for me to take Lehigh here uh, against a BU team that is, you know, I think the better team significantly. Uh, New Hampshire at Maine, really, really close to taking Maine here. Uh, I made the number three for New Hampshire. The number's three and a half. Three and a half would have been enough for me to take Maine. It actually has dropped across my number to two and a half. So, you know, I can't quite pull the trigger there. You know, that three number obviously, you know, sort of just beckons for some sort of tie game three-point winner or, you know, down three, miss at the buzzer type thing that has that game land exactly on three, you know, which would have been a number had I got it at its original number. Uh, and, of course, you know, would cause a loss here. So, you know, at three, I, I think you could still make the play on it because you're avoiding that disaster of losing the bet should it land three. Um, you know, it would be a push, which wouldn't be ideal, but also wouldn't be in any different state that you're in now. Uh, as for games that I'm actually going to make plays on, guess who's playing? That's right. It's our guys, Loyola, Maryland. Loyola, Maryland is at Navy tonight. And of course, as you know, Loyola, Maryland has been something of a pet project for us over the last month or so. But here's the bad news. The word's out. The word is out on Loyola, Maryland. And, you know, I thought we could keep the secret at least until the conference tournament here, but there's enough sort of buzz going through the sort of hardcore sports betting community that has realized that this Maryland team, Loyola, Maryland, I should say, is a completely different team. And the reason they're a completely different team, well, beyond just looking directly at their record <laughs> and their results, considering they're, what, 7-1 in their last eight after barely being able to win a game for the longest time. Um, but there's a you know pretty viable reason for that. And <clears throat> if you look at their metrics as they sort of go up the BPI list here, and yes, of course, they are 6-1. Sorry, six of their last seven is the number I'm actually uh, looking for here. Uh, it's that they have uh, arguably the best player now in all of small conference basketball in Santi Aldama. Now, who's Santi Aldama? He's a Spanish guy who is like a five-star level recruit who they just added to their roster finally, similar to how Tennessee added a Spanish guy to their roster mid-season and all of a sudden got way, way better. Uh, it's been that and then some for Loyola Maryland in that, when did they add him? Oh, I don't know, seven games ago, right? So they added him for the first time, they got him in there for the first time against Navy uh, at home and I think he played like 15 minutes and only had about 11 points, something like that. But he's starting to wheel into shape here. Uh, their only loss is a road 
uh, loss to American, who, you know, pretty decent team in the Patriot League, third place team, you know, behind Colgate and Boston University. Um, so interesting that he'll get a sort of second shot here at Navy. So the one, you know, sort of question mark here is their road games have been at Holy Cross. I mean, that's going to be an easy win, whether, you know, they're a Spanish guy or a Portuguese guy on their team. And, and the loss to American, and then a two-point win at Lafayette over the weekend where, you know, they weren't favored to necessarily win that game, you know, since theoretically Lafayette is the better team, even though at this point I don't think that's the case, right? So you have a handful of teams that are above them in the, you know, metric ratings uh, in that conference, like Lafayette, like Army, like American, uh, and I don't know that they're necessarily worse than any of those teams. So from a market standpoint, we were able to hit them a bunch of times in this last little round here where we got them, I believe it was home underdogs against Bucknell. They won that by 13. Uh, I think that American game was a push. That might have been the game where the number opened at five, which would have been a push and dropped to three and a half. So we actually might've taken a loss there, but we got wins with Colgate and we got a win with Lafayette. So, you know, this was a team that we were sort of eyeing to go right to the end of the season. They only have two more games left, this game tonight against Navy, and then a home game against Lehigh, who they haven't played with Aldama yet. Uh, for example, Lehigh, and yeah, of course, probably get into this over the weekend. That's a team that they lost to on the road by seven. Well, I expect that to be a considerably different story uh, come this weekend. But as for this game, uh, check the line last night. We had talked about this last week that with Loyola Maryland, they're now the team. They're now a team that we need to be jumping on the night before they play because you know the powers that be who are moving numbers out there are on top of this Loyola Maryland team and we're moving the numbers overnight. Problem is with Loyola Maryland being on the extra games board, a lot of sports books, including the ones that I use, don't even have the extra games up until you know the morning of. So you don't even have that advantage to hop on them before those lines move, right? So the specific sports books that do set those lines you know, those lines are getting banged down before we even have a chance to get on those lines. And so we're always going to be now at a little bit of a disadvantage to the rest of the market in that we're going to be one or two points, depending on the move, uh, worse off than what the original line was, right? And so now we're going to be playing this cat and mouse game down the stretch here where the sports book is now going to make these adjustments because even though it's a Patriot League game, you know, small conference, extra game board, they're going to notice that Loyola Maryland is getting bet every single game. So they're going to be ahead of even the two-point margin that the lines are moving, right? So we've had, you know, a five-point game knocked down to a three-point. I think over the weekend, you know, we ended up betting them at Pickham, even though they were two three-point underdogs. So unfortunately, the same thing has happened here, where last night they opened at as a three-point underdog. Well, they've been bet down to a one-point underdog and in even some spots a pick'em right so the the word is out and it isn't just the few people who can you know move the market a little bit it's now you're now starting to see it sort of in the mainstream 
you know, sports betting media things, right? Uh, it was, you know, the three-man weave guys, the, you know, were on with Gil Alexander on a numbers game uh, talking about Loyola Maryland, Loyola Maryland. And this is something that if you've been following this podcast that we've been talking about for two weeks now, right? For better or for worse, depending on what numbers, you know, we've been getting with them. So now that the, you know, the word is out and it doesn't take much for Loyola, Maryland, you know, numbers to get moved, right? It's not like people are clamoring to bet Navy tonight. So there isn't any money sort of to balance off where the market is going with Loyola, Maryland, right? It's one thing if you have, I don't want to say inside information, but like, you know, if you found a trend or if you've, you know, figured something similar out about, you know, Wake Forest, for example, where it's like, yeah, you can still take advantage of betting on Wake Forest every night because if they're playing Duke, if they're playing North Carolina, there's going to be money on the other side of that to balance it out. We're not getting that because there's no Navy people out there like desperate to bet on Navy basketball at this point in time. So everything is one way now with Loyola, Maryland. And so that's kind of, I don't, I'm not going to say it's thrown us, throwing us off here because we'll kind of, I think, ride this out. I mean, we'll see where the numbers sort of land, um, especially this weekend with Lehigh in a game that in theory Lehigh might be favored by a little bit or Loyola Maryland might be a one point favorite, something like that. You know, if this gets swung all the way to the other side where Loyola Maryland is now four, four and a half, five point favorites, you know, which is kind of where they should be in a game like that relative to this new version of that team, you know, that's, we're going to have to stop at some point, you know, trying to take advantage of this because that advantage will be gone. Now, looking ahead to the conference tournament, which is next week, you know, which is good news for our timing on this. But the bad news is, is that they dug themselves such a hole that they're going to be on the road for essentially their whole tournament. The Patriot League plays in uh, campus gyms, meaning the higher seed is the home team. Well, Loyola, Maryland right now is in the sixth seed in the Patriot League. They are two full games behind Lafayette and Army, which means, of course, that they would need to win both these games against Navy and Lehigh, certainly possible, but would also need both Army and Lafayette to lose both their games, and that's just to get to a 9-9 tie with them. And, you know, I couldn't tell you offhand what the tiebreaker situation is, but point is, is like best-case scenario, they get a miracle and they move up to the four seed, which gets them one home game, right? And then they still would have to win two more road games after that against the likes of Colgate, which, you know, is certainly the class of the league. And then other tough teams like Boston and American. American, of course, is the one team that they've already lost to in this sort of new post-Aldoma, like, situation that they're in, right? So this might maybe this is it right like maybe this is the swan song for our loyola maryland you know love here um but it was a fun little ride while uh, while it happened and uh, hopefully they get the win on the road tonight at navy and hopefully then you know not getting the best of the number 
uh, which you know sort of only semi-existed, right? Didn't really exist for um, anybody whose you know whose sports book opens those extra games, uh, you know, day of. Um, but you know, it, uh, it it'll, it'll be as fun while it lasted. So really interesting game uh, on the extra board that was sort of worth giving a couple extra minutes to. And we'll see sort of how the rest of the regular season plays out with those, those two games this week and where they land in the seeding. Maybe it looks like they could end up as, a, you know, staying as a six seed and, you know, get a rematch uh, against American, who, again, they've already faced on the road uh, in a game that was quite tight. In fact, if I look this up real quick, yeah, three-point game at halftime, five-point game overall. And if you look at the game flow, it is ridiculously close. We're just totally back and forth where Loyola had a seven-point lead in the second half at one point, you know, six-point lead with 10 to go, and then just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until American pulled away. So, you know, if they were to play American again, I'm sure a lot of, you know, books would sort of put that number around the same place as it was where it was three, three and a half. And, you know, we'd take Loyola Maryland in that spot too. So at any rate, um, yeah, interesting things sort of in the Patriot League, especially considering they're kind of first up to bat here with conference tournaments starting next week. Uh, moving on, though, we have still have a few more plays in the old back cuts region of the book. Uh, uh, Albany, I've got as one and a half point favorites on the road at UMass Lowell. Uh, Lowell was made two point favorites at home. So I'm going to take a shot with Albany on the road here. Uh, Albany plus two have bet on them to various degrees of success, but still comfortable doing so on the road with, I think, the better team here. Holy Cross at Army. Uh, I made Army nine-point favorites. It's 11. That's not enough of a gap to get me to jump on Holy Cross here, which is, I think, pretty clearly the worst team in the Patriot League. In fact, yes, they are by far the worst team as they are three games clear of Lehigh uh, in the league there. Um, don't have the bracket in front of me for the Patriot League, but I'm pretty sure that leaves them out of the Patriot League tournament, as I think that's a top eight in situation uh, in that league. So, you know, Holy Cross literally playing out the string here and doing so on the road is kind of never a good sign. That being said, 11, 11 points is a lot here for Army, so a pass there. Uh, Binghamton at UMBC. Uh, I made UMBC nine and a half point favorites. The number's 10. Uh, Binghamton very similar to Holy Cross in that it doesn't look like they will qualify for their conference tournament. Um, and again, on the road against a, you know, middle-of-the-road conference team there. Uh, that being said, middle-of-the-road conference team doesn't exactly uh, you know, inspire a ton of confidence when laying double digits, so we're not going to do that, and we're going to pass on that game entirely. Uh, next up, Hartford at Stony Brook. Pretty simple here. Stony Brook, I made seven-point favorites. They are seven-and-a-half-point favorites, so no play for me at all there. Northwestern State at Saint, uh, Stephen F. Austin. Uh, Stephen F. Austin's a 12, I made a 12 and a half point favorite. They're a 15 point favorite. So a small lean to Northwestern State, but similar deal here as we get down the stretch is I don't really want to be fading the top teams in, you know, a small conference who know that their only chance here is to ramp it up um, to win their tournament and get into the dance that way. 
Um, Stephen F. Austin certainly capable of blowing out Northwestern State, Northwestern State, whether the number is 12 and a half or 15. So we're going to pass on that one. Uh, Southeast Louisiana at McNeese State. I got McNeese as eight and a half point favorites. The number's eight, so no play for me there. Thankfully, didn't really want to bet on either of those teams tonight. Uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi at University of New Orleans. I made New Orleans a five-point favorite here. The number's three, so that will be a play for me on the home standing New Orleans Privateers, I believe they are. Uh, so we're going to take New Orleans minus three in that one for our third play off the back cuts menu. Uh, Incarnate Word at Lamar. This is going to be our one hold our nose play here. I made Lamar eight and a half point favorites at home to Incarnate Word. They're 12 point favorites. Give me Incarnate Word and we're going to hope for the best here. Nichols at Houston Baptist can never figure out the lines on Houston Baptist. Uh, I've got Nichols as five-point favorites. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Haven't seen enough lately for Nichols to want to lay that much on the road against the team that has a pretty high variance with regards to how many points are scored in their games. So no play for me there. Final play of the back cuts, and this one we are running with Sam Houston State as road underdogs. I actually made them small favorites on the road here against Abilene Christian, but Abilene Christian is the three and a half point favorite. Uh, I will take Sam Houston State plus those three and a half points as I think they can win this one outright. So in recap for the back cuts, Loyola Maryland plus one, though if you had to, I'd still try it at Pickham. We've come this far with Loyola Maryland. Hard not to just keep going with it. This may be a Thelma and Louise situation. I don't know who's Thelma or who's Louise in this situation. Am I Thelma? Are you Louise? Is Loyola Maryland Thelma? And I'm Louise. You know, I don't know what's going on here. I just know that neither of us are Brad Pitt. Uh, Albany plus two also on the board. UNO, New Orleans, the Privateers minus three. Incarnate Word plus 12. And Sam Houston State plus three and a half are your five back cuts for Wednesday night. That's it for the show. We will, of course, be back on Thursday to discuss what went wrong and what went right tonight. And, of course, another big card on Thursday. And uh, whatever else there is to discuss, uh, we'll see you tomorrow at the window.